0: You are tuning into Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston, Texas. The era of Hispandering is over. Thanks for tuning in to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. Today, we are focusing on two activists who are taking on issues that really threaten the well-being of our community. At the top of the show, we're going to talk to Al Castillo, who is the president of LULAC Council 60. He had an op-ed published in the Houston Chronicle in which he likens some of Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott's recent actions as akin to an update of the poll tax Al Castillo's father, used to volunteer to sell because that's what our community used to have to do is they used to have to pay to register to vote. Are we going back to those things? We're going to talk to Al about that. We're going to hear his essay. Second half of the show, I want you to know Chicano veterans are being deported by the administration. This is going on right now. We've spoken To John Valadez. He told us about his film American Exile. Today we speak to Manuel Valenzuela who is one of the brothers profiled in the film and he tells us about how his life has been put in a tailspin and that's happening to many Latino veterans because of misdemeanors from decades in the past. However, Manuel is doing something about it. If you watch the film, and we had a special screening with John Valadez, you got to see that he's invested in this big RV on the side. It says, Stop Deporting Latino Veterans. He's got pictures of some of the folks that this has happened to. And he has hit the road. He's put over 100,000 miles on that RV. And he is speaking up. Today, we speak with him. Again, these are issues that are fundamental to democracy and we're happy to bring the attention to them. But we need you to understand that this is the real life. This is the real situation for our people here in America. However, I'm so proud that we are all standing up. Stay tuned. I wanna thank our volunteers who make the show possible. Roxana Guzman is our communication specialist. Rodrigo Bravo mixes these shows. Leti Lopez curates our music and we have an army of individuals out there helping to spread the word through social media and the old-fashioned way, one Chicana and Chicano at a time. Thank you for tuning in, this is Tony Diaz. Today we are taking a close look into an issue That should really have a lot of Americans upset. Currently, the Trump administration has been deporting Chicano veterans. We're going to get to the bottom of that. We've also already shared a powerful documentary titled American Exile by John Valadez. We've spoken to him on the air. We've had a special screening with Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, during our Ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month. But we want to continue focusing on these issues beyond Hispanic Heritage Month because this is something that affects our community profoundly. On top of it, we're very honored to have on the air with us today one of the brothers who's in that film and who is taking this issue head-on and whose life is in a tailspin even though... He made a major sacrifice to defend this nation. He's joining us right now on the air. His name is Manuel Valenzuela. He and his brother are the focus of this film. Mira, Manuel, thank you so much for joining us. Bienvenido to our radio show.
1: Muchas gracias. And uh, I'm I'm very happy and proud to be here because this issue needs to be brought up. And uh, thank you for this opportunity.
0: By all means, and I'm hoping that we can help spread the word. So right now, we're we're making this an issue that should be on everyone's radar, whether or not they're Latino or not. More importantly, we need to spread the word. So we're hoping people will spread the word via social media, telling their neighbors, and on top of it, watching the film. Let's set the stage for this. First of all, Tell us a little about yourself. Where are you calling from right now? Where did you grow up?
1: Okay, I'm, uh, I'm calling from Colorado Springs, Colorado. I was born in Mexico, um, Palomas Numero Uno, and, and it's right in the border of uh, Redport, Texas, and right across the river. It's a little village. I was born there but uh, in 1952. I was brought back into the United States with uh, seven of us brothers. Well, seven of the family were brought in Excuse me, it was six of us. I was three years old when I was brought back into the United States in 1955. Our mom, went to school, you know, uh, grammar school and everything, and in New Mexico and Mexico, uh, New Mexico, and they went to California, and I went to school college, school there, high school and everything, graduated. And, well, I didn't graduate, but uh, you're... Uh, that was the year 1971 uh, uh, Vietnam was on and I decided to join because they uh, uh, we were told that uh, if we didn't join in, communists would be infiltrating America plus all this. So I took to me to uh, join in the Marine Corps and somebody told me there, if you go to Vietnam, go as a Marine. You have a better chance of coming back to you know, life. So I said, that's it. I'm going to the Marines. But before that, uh, I joined in. My brother was in, the, in the Vietnam in 1968. And he was in the Army. So I decided I'm going to go and do what I, my brother did. And I didn't really realize about PTSD and what it was uh, all about. But when he came, uh, he came back, there he, he was something mysterious about him. So I just, I mean, I said, I got to go fight. I got to go fight, fight and find out
0: what's happening. How many of your brothers served in the military? Oh, okay. There's uh, eight boys, eight, bro- eight brothers, and four sisters.
1: And one sister passed away, the oldest one. And out of the eight, eight brothers, my oldest brother, uh, Valente, was in the army, And I have a a one-year-older brother. and He's in the Navy. And I'm a Marine. Then I have another brother younger. He was in the Air Force. Then another brother in the Army, too. So there's uh, five of us that were in the military. Wow. uh, To me, it's... My mom was which I do see it at that time when we're growing up, that it affects the whole family. Mm. I mean, if one person goes in the military, everybody gets affected. And I would see my mother praying for my my son every night, practically every night, praying for him. She had a little room that you go in there and pray. And uh, I guess those prayers did help because he came back. All right, you know. And then I went in and my brother, other brothers went. Can you imagine how many times she's praying? So,
0: Wow, right.
1: She played a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but thank God we're all still alive, as, uh, all of my brothers. Two brothers in the Army, one in Navy, one in the Air Force, one in, and me in the Marine Corps. What can you ask from a family from this
0: And you, you know, really put your heart into it. Tell our listeners a little about the medals that you earned and the medals that your brothers earned in service.
1: Well, well, my brother Valente, he got the Bronze Star in Vietnam and the comeback action, you know, uh, and citation and all that. But he got the Bronze Star and he came back. And uh, I, so uh, when I went in, I, I got uh, I went to Vietnam. I, went, I was in Nam in 71, 72, and I just got, in, you know, fighting in Vietnam. I did fight in Vietnam. When, uh, what I did on my mission was, on my last, when I went in 71, we did rescue missions to get guys out of out of uh, harm's way in the jungle. That was my, and then to, to bring them back, no matter what, dead or alive or whatever, you know, wow. it's something that you cannot, people cannot even imagine. Uh, my brothers, they know it's an ugly, ugly thing to see but I nah. did it and uh, I came back and you know, when I, I got back, I was, in, I didn't know there was this thing as PTSD. I i, I was, uh, even to this day, uh, there's times I can't even sleep. I have to, What I, I usually do is wear my whole body down because I work out a lot. And that helps me with my PTSD in a sense. It tears me up to where I'm, 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 I'm exhaust myself and it kind of like metals me down you know of all the things we have to do in, to uh, survive and people don't understand and realize
0: how, how crucial that can be these you are know. potent stories and right now we could do a whole special just on this aspect however your life and those of your fam, the life of your family has been putting a tailspin though Because to add to all of that, the Trump administration has been deporting Mexican-American, Latino, Chicano veterans who have to go through all the struggles you mentioned after sacrificing their youth and sometimes their lives for the service. But on top of it now, they have their citizenship status jeopardized. Tell us about when you found out that you might be deported and there were others deported after having made these sacrifices for the country?
1: Well, you know, in, in 2000, 2008, my brother and I, I was living in Colorado Springs, and which I was doing real good. I was a, a drywall contractor, I had my business. I, I opened, I have a grandkids, uh, she was four years old. And my granddaughter and my grandson, uh, five years old. I put him into Taekwondo school, and I joined the Taekwondo school, and I became an instructor. I even opened up a Taekwondo school myself. I had a Taekwondo school going on that time when I got I got the removal notice in two thousand nine. Figure this out. My brother came over to my house, and he go, man, we he haven't had no help and. I haven't had no help from the VA, so I said, man, let's go, brother. Let's go right here to the VA. Let's go, let's go register and kick some ass and get, get some help. So we went to the VA on 2008, registered know, benefits to help us. Kind of funny, you know, that in 2009, January 29th, I, I got my removal notice to go to court in Denver. To go to immigration court to be deported from this country. I m- My whole world is just like, what? Man. I, I feel like, I, I, what did I do? I mean, what ugly, you know, you don't know. I, I, I couldn't figure out what the hell. To, I, 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 I couldn't even imagine. I, I couldn't. My whole world is just like, what, what the hell? And it's embarrassing, you know? And I didn't tell nobody. And I went to court that, that day. And I came back, and my mother passed away. The same day, mm. January 29, two thousand nine, right here in Colorado Springs, I went to the to the hospital
0: and saw her. Give my condolences. Yeah, it it was uh, it was pretty tough. I can't imagine all the thoughts that are going through your head as you felt the pain of losing your mom as here you are fighting to keep the citizenship status of the country you've given so much for. You you have my condolences.
1: Thank you. But uh, see, like uh, that was January and I, and, and I held it to myself.
0: Uh, I still didn't want to tell nobody even uh, my mom's burial. I... Why didn't you want people to know that you were subject to deportation. It is a disgrace and dishonor to
1: me, and, and 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 people. So they look at you like if I was a killer or some or what did I do? But to me, I say what you know. I haven't done nothing that like that. You know, sure, I've gotten into. When I got came back from Vietnam, I was, oh alcohol an alcohol lot. It was PTSD. I didn't know. I didn't know. And besides, we, we were, we were t- uh, called baby killers and we were not even accepted back right. I mean, we we're, were throwing trash thrown at us, balloons full of piss and, and bags of full of tra- uh, shit on, uh, uh, on us and called baby killers. So to me, uh, all that I had to still do it to this day. We were not treated right. We were, we were called baby killers and so I got to drinking and that's how I Kate because I, I didn't have no help from the BA until 2008, when and applied for it. And my brother did too, together. Well, I got it on January 29th and went to court. A month later, my brother came over to my house and the way I felt, I looked at his face and I said, damn, bro, uh, what's what's wrong with you? Yeah. he. he pull out the same paper removal notice with his name on it I, said, I looked at it I said whoa wait a second brother and I went to my bedroom and I got my paper and I put my paper right beside his and he's like whoa you two there from there um brother both of us both of us uh together I felt more at ease and, and You know, we ask each other what we do wrong. And I said, man, all I did was drunk driving. And that's, and then goes me too. I mean, but how can that be to be deported for something like that? That is stupid. I mean, even so, we serve this country. We shouldn't be like that. A a veteran, what we had to do for this country is its words cannot be described. And, And for a military veteran to go through this, us, it's, it's like, it, it, you just want to just scream out and go to back to war, but this time with your own country. This is wrong.
0: I think some people find this so hard to believe that it's going on. I want to remind folks that this is dramatized and this saga is followed in the film American Exile, which John Valadez created. It will air nationally on public broadcasting systems soon we must have got a special screening it will be shown in some local spots but people need to know this issue is going on and they can follow more as the film is released i want to talk about this component and again the the film does a lot to document this you are in that film and this is dramatized i do want to go a little further into the deception that you felt because You enlisted because you believed in the nation. You came back from war and you were treated terribly because of what people's perception was of the nation's involvement in Vietnam. Additionally, you and your brothers were suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome, but you didn't know about that. That wasn't being articulated and you're trying to deal with that without help. And then when you finally go to get that help, the fact you got on the radar brought out past misdemeanors that all of a sudden the current administration wanted to act on and deport all while your mom is is dying so th- this sounds like a huge impact of all these elements on top of it it sounds like you believe so much in the system that it just didn't make sense that you were being deported for reasons you weren't sure of after you followed rules uh you know served and whatever infractions you had which were misdemeanors or wrongs you paid for tell me a little bit more about how that made you lose all sense of what's right and what's wrong and made you question the very fundamentals of this country
1: well after when you know when we looked at it together and my brother both of us looked at each other and i told me you know this is serious brother we got to put in the news this we, we need help, we can't just do it ourselves so we did go to the news, uh, called the news up and, and you know what, they came to my Taekwondo school I'll, and I was teaching and, they, and the news reporter came over and right here, channel 13 this is what really got me really ticked off channel 13 came over to the news thing and uh, he did a news broadcast that evening and I was teaching in class. He even filmed us, me starting the class, and then we had interviewed, and, and we talked about it, and we came on the news. And uh, looked like it just came out one time, and then they erased it. You know what I'm saying? And that's when I got an, an a, a eerie feeling that hey, something's not right here. You know, and people, and then but then at that same time when it came out. Those vet, some veterans have called me from Mexico. Uh, Hector Barajas called me, telling me that he's deported and there's veterans deported. I said, brother, man, this is serious. This is for real. So we started getting in contact with all of them. And I said, this cannot be happening. I, I can't accept that. That my last mission to Vietnam. You know, I, I, to do that. And then here in the United States, and throwing veterans away, this is uh, what I did was n- n- was for nothing. This is wrong, you know. I have to fight that back again to go get them back.
0: But you didn't this know is- anything about all these other veteran Latino veterans, right. who served the nation, who were also either in the process of getting deported or had been deported. You didn't know anything about that.
1: No, until wow. they they we I, I came out on the news and I asked my. Uh, I start getting phone calls from my brother too, and, and since I start talking with all of them, and, I, and uh, they would tell me how their lives have changed, how how ugly it is without their families, without their mom, without their wives and kids, you know. And to me, that's uh, America doing that to military veterans. And after what they say, they, I'm walking down the street with my Marine Corps cap and all that, and they come up, to, "Thank you for your service, sir." I look at him. now. Before, I kind of like felt good, but did, going through this hell that we I've been thrown into, I look at him, I, I, I wish you would know what I've gone through. That you really get a taste of what I've gone through. You really turn around and go crazy.
0: What I want to add is that the film breaks down how this is happening due to misdemeanors. And in some cases, these could be misdemeanors such as fishing without a license and the film american exile also makes the key point that several members of congress right now are living with misdemeanors but they're not subject to deportation this is coming down and putting tailspins lives of latino veterans chicano veterans and Let's tell let's tell folks what you've done about it cuz you've given a lot of time and your energy to spread the word. We're happy to lend nuestro granito de arena to get the word out and people have to know that this is going on right now. They need to call elected officials to tell them that this is going on and they and they to stop this. But tell folks what you've done personally to spread the word. I personally,
1: since 2000, uh, when I got my removal orders, I've been fighting. Uh, and when Hector called me, I have take. I went personally to Mexico at that time and crossed over, knowing that I'd be kept over there. And I, I took the risk, and I said, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be with them, and I'm gonna find out how they live." I, I learned. I, I had a taste of how they live. It. And to me, and I promised that I would not stop uh, until they all come home. And at that time, I didn't have that much money, but it was, you know, the contracting and, and then going and fighting all this stuff. I didn't have that much money. But in 2018, fighting to get my benefits at times when we put the they, um I finally got 60% and I got some money together. And I told myself, you know. We've been going through news like this, radio, news, media here, everywhere. I got so many uh, things that I can show up that you'd be surprised. you will be stunned where I've been all oh over El Paso. You name it, I've been there. Uh, I got to meet Obama when he was president. I even voted under the umbrella of deportation. The Homeland Security saying that i am got to send a letter to To Secretary of State of Colorado stating that there's a group of illegals and they cannot vote and Jesus Manuel Valenzuela he cannot vote, he's illegal I went to a court and the Secretary of State says you are American and he let me vote and I challenge the United States even to this day you cannot tear me down, if you do then you you're going to have to sit down with the state government they gave me the citizenship to vote. And the United States government still has me in permanent residence, and they don't want me. And I refuse, refuse to pay any money to live in the United States after what I have done for the United States. I did my, I, I went to uh, uh, serve this country, and I should not be treated that way. This is wrong, and this got to
0: be stopped. If people see the film American Exile, they'll also see the RV that you have invested in, which is covered in uh, the messages, Stop Deporting Veterans. It's got pictures of the folks that were affected. You yourself, you've put in almost 100,000 miles driving all over the country to support veterans, to seek out politicians, to let them know this is going on, and You've really put a lot of time and energy into this. I say all that because if someone listening right now has not heard about this, that means this is being silenced. This is being ignored. This is being swept under the rug. What would you like people to do to help you through this right now and to help the other veterans that are unjustly facing deportation at this moment? Well,
1: I put up a GoFundMe and on uh, two. Uh, uh, on my Facebook is Jesus Manuel Valenzuela Facebook, and you'll see a Marine uh, uh, face on there, my face with Marine and all that, Uh, and it's a GoFundMe to help me out, because you know, when I, in 2018 I got that from the VA uh, they raised my my benefits and I could have bought me a house I could have bought me a uh, car, and I could have just lived my life happily ever after, but Knowing that my brothers were thrown uh, uh, from this country, I invested and I bought an RV and I wrapped it in 2018 September. And I had uh, an event. I had Senator Crowder from uh, from uh, Denver come over and speak. And I had Point Matt Ministries Colonel McGee. He's still here. He supports his you know biker unit now, but he's deported. A commander. Mm. They came and spoke, and uh, Russell Lopez from uh, from Denver, from the American GI Forum, they spoke out and said, you know, that this is the beginning of my tour, in which I personally, you know, said I'm going to state, state capital, capital, videoing and then going and showing how America is. I even went to the border, and I put my little pinky on the. Than the wall they got there, the fins, To shake hands, you put a little, a little pinky through that To shake hands with the deported veterans, I went and talked to them and, and mm-hmm. said, I'm going on this tour. So I went all the way around the United States, capital, capital, and 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 state, state to state and capital, and then I did an event and videoed the capitals, <coughs> and had other people's to speak out and show how uh, luxury the marble floors, marbles, walls, ceilings, man, they're huge, billions of dollars, every capital. And, you know, when I walk out, out of that capital, you walk outside and there's veterans living on mm. the streets. Mm. I mean, living in the streets. I said, this is wrong. This is definitely wrong. And not just living on the streets. They're being deported, too. That's way more. I mean, this is disgrace and dishonor to all of us. This country has got to change. And this political ring, they have, they're have they wearing $1,000 suits. And these guys, these brothers living in the streets, veterans. So I've been throughout the United States. And everywhere i stopped... Hundred percent of people come up to me and say, "Man, is this is wrong, I'm wrong." Even right now, they I, they come up to me and say, "Is this for reals?" I said, "Yeah." You know that? Nope. They, the news doesn't bring it out. They just if they see they put on the news, we're in the news a bunch of times, and then they they shut it real quick. They don't let it keep going because I know who Homeland Security tells them. We don't want to hear this. Don't do this. And we can't allow, you know. <clears throat> People don't know. Even to this day, I, I drive my RV, and uh, I just drove all the way to Washington, D.C., and went to New York, met a, a deported veteran, and uh, he'd been hiding, and he needs help. I said, put your uniform on, and we're going to put ours And we did an event right in the, at the at the Liberty, Statue of Liberty, and we. We told them, look, if you get deported, we're going to go with you. We're going to kick some ass. This is wrong. We cannot allow this. And and uh, so we, we got to stand up no matter what. And I, I I tell everybody, there's more veterans and active military than there is political ring. We gonna have to stand up and say, no more. We cannot accept that. This government is is putting this a hush and doing this to us after what we do and what we're doing right now and that's why I'm asking all the people of the United States to look into my Facebook Jesus Manuel Valenzuela and I even got brothersvalenzuela at gmail.com you can uh, email me you can call me I got my phone number there I got my address I even have I, I put flags around my, my house showing the world I don't hey. I'm for reals, so I'm not scared to die. But I'm going to die standing and saying that this is not right. That this government, this is doing that to us. We have to stand up and say no more. No more of these. You know, so I, I just ask everybody to really take a good look because there's veterans dying out there and I have and my brother we've been to five funerals, five different funerals that one in, in fort bliss texas that one that was when obama was uh uh going for a second term uh, and uh, was michelle obama was here in pueblo and i was gonna go to the funeral and the people the family of the of the parents said please of the deported veteran that died deported uh please don't come because we don't want media attention they were scared because it will have media attention for place My refuse his burial there. Oh, mm. man, um, that's ugly. So I said, okay, okay, I'm going to be here instead and meet uh, Michelle Palm. I gave her the information with my grandson. He was small, 12 years old. He gave her the uh, folder and she and she looked at the folder, and, and, I, and I said, That's my grandson. She looked at me, Oh, yeah, yeah. And we gave him the folder. Nothing was happened. Nothing happened afterwards. Sure enough, later on, he got a letter stating uh, Obama signed a paper saying, Thank you for your service. We're proud that he died, you know. And what's so ugly about this, Tony, those five funerals that we've been to, they were deported. Mm-hmm. And a deported veteran that was in uh Mexico, he got shot and killed by the cartel. And he, we they brought his body to the border and put him in a coffin with American flag. And then they take it they took it to Hobbs, New Mexico, and we're there and then they did a military ceremony and they folded the flag and then they gave the flag to the mother can you imagine going through that mm. he's deported and we do not lose that you know, to be brought back and buried with military honor be deported but if you die you can come back and you can be buried here in the United States mm. we honor you that's sick that's like slap on uh, spitting on our face and our bodies you know, like we're nothing. And that's and a, a, a ridicule of us. You can't live here, but when you die, yeah, you can come right back. Mm. <laughs> wow! So I, I got to be there too, and there was eight eight sons, and seven of the uh, of the, her sons carried the coffin. That that was the last one. I said, man, wow. And I've been to so many of them that it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, I even one in, in over there in Arizona, Tucson. He he died. Um, it was a crucial death. So like what it was is he got sick. He was deported, and right across the border, and he was real sick. And a friend found him uh, in convulsions in the, in the motel room or whatever he lived. So they they knew he was a veteran. So they rushed into the border and say, Hey, man, you know those emergency, this guy's a veteran, he's really sick, so they took him, The VA, I mean, the, they took him in to the United States, but you know what, in the hospital, they even put him in handcuffs, on his bed, and he's dying, he was real sick, he needed like a couple months in, in the hospital, he was, he had some kind of something real bad, and then they said that he felt better, and then they brought him back. The border. I mean, they took him across the border. And you know what? The next morning, they found him dead in the uh, in the street. Things like this is sick.
0: That's really. And I shameful. went to,
1: I went, yeah, I went to the funeral right there, and uh, that was in Tucson, Arizona. And uh, I got to meet the family, and they even gave me a a, a poem to read. The one of the sisters wrote a poem, and I, I wore my uniform to all the funerals show them, you know, my respect. And, and the color guard did the same thing. They came in, folded the flag, and gave it to the mother. Uh, and then. But I had the opportunity to read up read a, uh, a poem that the sister made for him, the family, for him.
0: Well, I want to thank um, you for all the time and energy you put putting to spread the word. We're happy to lend nuestro garnito de nera. We're going to make sure that this is spread through not just our FM platform, we'll also... Spread it on social media, and we're going to follow up, so I want to let folks know that we've been talking to Manuel Valenzuela, who is standing up for the veteran Latinos and Chicanos who are subject to deportation. Some of them have been deported already or are on the verge of getting deported by the current administration. He is standing up for them. I want to thank you for taking the time to call in, and of course, I want to remind folks that... This is Dramatized. This is profiled in the film American Exile by John Valadez. And we really want to thank you for standing up for our community. Gracias. You are tuning in to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. We are post-ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month, and we are pre-November 3rd general election. We've had some great turnout for early voting. However, this is no time to sit still. This is a generational fight that we've been in to make sure that our community is empowered to vote Because there are forces at work to make that harder. We're about to talk to Al Castillo, who is president of LULAC Council 60. And he wrote a powerful op-ed that's published in the October 15th Houston Chronicle, where he traces the legacy of Jim Crow tactics that have been around for generations. He's not going to put up with it. I'm not going to put up with it. Today we talked to him what drove him to write this op-ed to hold a press conference, and he's going to share that essay with us. Please welcome Al Castillo. Al, thanks for taking the time to chat with us by phone.
2: Thanks for having me in, Tony. Thanks for inviting me.
0: I also want to tell folks I am a member of Lulet Council 60. This is a legacy council. But, yo, bro, your dad was in this, Vato. Your dad was a member of Lulet Council 60?
2: Yes, he was. He was uh, he was right in the thick of things. He started in the early 60s and went through the late 60s, you know, right during the the height of the civil rights movement. He sure was.
0: That's amazing because this just shows how long the work is, how long the work takes.
2: It's it was longer than that because that backs us up to the GI forum when the when the um, the soldiers came back from World War II, they weren't treated like you know like they'd been out Ah, uh, defending the, the rights of the of the United States of America, so they were treated as second second class citizens. So that they they formed the USGI forum, and that's where it started. And then that 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 branched off into the LULAC um, LULAC Council 60 um, movement.
0: Now this morning's press conference, and we want to we appreciate all the media that came out to cover this because this is very important and we yeah. need to get the word out to, to, to get people to vote, to spread the word. But why was it important to have this press conference in front of the LULAC 60 Clubhouse, which is a historical landmark now?
2: Okay, because Abbott's actions are, it's, it's a blatant out and out suppression of the vote, Just just plain and simple. So I just couldn't stand it. I mean, watching on TV and hearing about all this, you know, they insist on trying to suppress our vote and that's not, that, that's not, that's un-American. And the reason why we had it at the Lulet Clubhouse, because that is a beacon of civil rights movement in our community. What I should have said during the, during that press conference was you see this building behind me, that building is going to be white and it's going to stand for civil rights and American justice.
0: It's powerful. I also want to let our listeners get a visual of the building because right now it's got a fence around it. Parts of the the walls have been peeled off. It's under renovation. And I think that's symbolic in that that same structure is vital. It got us here but maybe each generation has to reboot that fight. It, just when you think we can rest and when people get comfortable, you know, actions like this, where you've got people making it more difficult for our community instead of easier and, and more confusing, I guess we gotta keep fighting. Maybe, maybe that's what it is, and, and maybe that's the work of democracy.
2: Yes, uh, we're we're gonna continue to struggle. That's why I encourage and you know I implore. Uh, the young people to attach themselves to some type of movement, whether it's it's uh, it's a uh, LULAC Council 60 or some other movement that's going to advance our communities, because the young people are the future of this country.
0: I think the other thing that's occurring is that there is an outpouring of support for voting. The early indications are that we've been breaking records in Harris County. That's excellent, but this is also no reason to sit back and rest on our laurels. I think the other part too is that we have to show that when suppression is exposed, then it lets people know that their rights are at stake. So this is key to let people know that Governor Abbott, in your opinion it sounds like, should drop this lawsuit especially in light of past practices, additionally, we have to spread the word and continue to get people to vote. Just like your dad says, I don't want to give too much away of the essay because you're going to share it with us, but your dad says in, in the essay and from your memory, the only way to beat this is to actually vote. So there's a weird irony. It's almost like a vicious cycle that we have to break where they suppress us, but we need to get the vote, and the only way to beat it is to vote.
2: But you see how resilient we are? I mean, over and over again, I was eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old watching this man carry the carry the banner. You know, I mean, he 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 was out there. He was beating the bushes. He was hitting the bricks. He was a precinct chair. You know, he sold poll taxes. You know, he went to the meetings and yeah, I mean, and not only him, I mean, there were a a large group of others that that needed to make needed to do the work to make an impact to affect change now let me get back to what you were talking about about the the record-breaking early voter turnout in my opinion that demonstrates that they're out there to make a change in government
0: and hmm. that's the only way to get that change to happen which
2: that's right you got it you got to exercise your right to vote it's not it's not it's not the Trump phenomenon that's bringing them out there. It's a phenomenon of Trump. <laughs> They're looking for a change. <laughs> that's hilarious.
0: Well, and it <laughs> appears that it's taken four years for people to wake up and say, "Well, well, if I don't vote, then it's it's just like voting." Which again, we've been telling people this for a long time, but maybe it is. has sunk in. And additionally. Let's also not make light of all the voter drives, of all the informational sessions that we've had, the, the pushes, um, you know, directly. And, and this is all despite the coronavirus as well. So yes. people have been putting in the work, but th- th- there's so much at stake. And, and again, here you are dedicating your time today and, and the group all coming together to raise awareness that Governor Abbott is working to make it harder for folks yes. to vote, which which right. which should not be the case. And another thing that you bring out is so close to the election, at the very least, in the least sinister way, it's going to cause confusion. So let's make it clear to our gente. They need to yeah. vote. They need to tell their tios and tios <clears throat> to vote. And they got to get their neighbors to vote.
2: Well, you call it sinister. I call it out and out blatant voter suppression. Mm. So I mean, sinister one way or another. Okay, a sinister guy shouldn't be the governor. So if he was sinister to me, Governor Abbott should resign.
0: That's a powerful point because, and
2: he should take it, and he should take his friend Paxton with him.
0: The uh, of course you're referring to the indicted Texas Attorney General, <coughs> absolutely yes, who yeah. who recently has had many of his lieutenants uh, question right. his his uh, ethics, um, that's that's on yeah. top of all. And these are some of the people in power who've been voted into place, again, right. by people either directly voting or people thinking their vote doesn't matter, or voter suppression, like you're mentioning. And yeah. now we have this confluence of events which which right now are teetering. I do want to mention, Lulek Council 60 involved in many actions. Um, of course, this is pre-taped. This will be in the archives. But I do want sure. to mention... That tomorrow, uh, LULAC Council 60 is also supporting a protest that the Libra Tafricantes and many allies are organizing in Fort Bend because there, the Fort Bend Sheriff's Department has been racially profiling Latinos when they pull over people for speeding and traffic violations. And uh, right now, uh, the person in charge is Sheriff Nels, who has avoided the media. He's running for Congress. He has not addressed this. And that really is terrible. I, I'm only bringing it up for two reasons. One, yes, Lulek is really in the game. Lulek Council 60, which is a historical mandate, evidently, is in yeah, all yeah. these issues. But the, on the flip side, too, if if we don't do something, these things become normal. These things become status quo. Three years into this, where we're like, well, you know, that, that's what happens. Is that what yeah. you're fighting? Well... Let's back up a little bit.
2: LULAC Council 60 is, is historic. I mean, they, they argued some of the first Latino arguments in the Supreme Court. Now, we were standing on the shoulders of those visionaries, and I just can't see us uh, sit idly by. And I've, I've spent my time and energy trying to coddle this, this LULAC Council 60 and get it up and running and, and get it organized. And, you know, let's see where we're going to go for there. Go from there as far as uh, advocating. Well, uh, Mr. Abbott has pushed us over the edge, so now we are in the thick of things, just like you said. Now, uh, talking about this Fort Ben situation, he is going to fit right into the, the U.S. administration's law and order
0: scheme. Mm.
2: <laughs> so wow. how, can, how can the most corrupt administration in the history of the United States State that they're the law and order administration. That 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 that's incredulous
0: to me. And, and let's get something straight. Uh, you know, if people want to debate issues, let's get something straight. These are facts. It is a fact that in Fort fact, Bend, yeah. Latinos are getting racially profiled while driving while brown. Additionally, it is a fact that Governor Abbott has fought in court to make it harder for our community to vote. And it is a fact that there used to be a poll tax in Texas, and it is a fact we're standing up to that. So you're bringing up some powerful issues. What I'm proud of Lulet Council 60 is Lulet Council 60 is doing something about it. Yes.
2: Yes, reluctantly, but, I mean, it's it's blatant out there slapping us, and and I'm just not going to let that happen. We're not going to let that happen. So we're going to voice our opinion. I mean, whatever it may be, you know, for you know, and not just for for the left or you know, for the right, uh, to for the left side or the right side. It's for all Americans. We're all Americans.
0: That's a great point because you've never made it a point to say, "Well, we only want some people to vote." This is to really make sure that all elderly folks have access to the vote. That all all people who who can get involved so you're making a good point there and 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 here's what i would add as well is that you know um the other the other side of this too is as we watch the well they're not really presidential debates they're like (laughs) like (laughs) synchronous town halls now or whatever they've come up with travesty (laughs) man it's just it's a
2: it's a debacle it's embarrassing
0: well but on top of it too even when they were convening you know i guess uh, before they were do super spreader events before they were super spreader covid events <laughs> <laughs> when when you had the one vice president that really <laughs> it's scary i'm 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 laughing from anxiety and when I'm you had,
2: sorry. <laughs> <too>. I'm sorry <laughs> if i I interrupted. No, 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 no.
0: <laughs> and then when you had the the um, alleged presidential debate what what really is also mind-boggling is that there were no Latino journalists presenting questions. There were no topics. The word Latino or, you know, Mexican-Americans or anything were not was not brought up at all. And this is in stark contrast to until in 2016 when uh, Trump was running for election and he would say, I'm going to build a wall, and they'd say Mexico would pay for it, and that was the Latino issue. So I guess, evidently, no wall, no Latino issue. So again, I only bring it up to say we we are here to level the playing field for everyone. It just so happens that our community is getting hit hard. Well, here
2: we go. So that's a good point because got, I've got some comments on that. So he said he's going to build a wall to keep our people out. Why doesn't he build a wall to keep the coronavirus out? Mm. He spent billions of dollars for that pseudo fence or whatever it is, where he could have, he could have channeled it into, you know, the coronavirus uh, effort that he still denies. So I'm going to ask you this question: It's the interviewee asking the interviewer, <laughs> did he have coronavirus at all?
0: Long pause, dramatic moment. (laughs) (laughs) And I do wanna I do wanna point out to our listeners, I wanna make it really clear too that I am not advocating for one candidate or the other. I'm merely pointing out facts. I'm pointing out facts. And you know that
2: is our, our creed. We we you know, as an organization we cannot endorse any any um any candidate. So and I have to I have to dance around that, but this is out and out.
0: The facts. And, and you, know, so. y- y- you did ask, hey, in my opinion, did uh, President Trump have coronavirus or not? What I'm going to say is, well, how about this? I saw 14 doctors attending to him, I saw him loaded on steroids, and of course, in, in the bunker that he hides in, again, these are all facts, in the bunker that he hides in, I wonder if they've tricked it out like a hospital. That's all I'm going to say. So uh, did you want to opine about uh, that or, or another issue? Because we do want to get to your uh, you essay. Know, we do want to get to your essay.
2: Yeah, because, and the reason why I'm just going to go ahead and let that rest, because everybody who knows anything or, you know, or is following this knows what, position, what his position is. See, so we we don't know if it's factual or if it's a hoax. And those are his words. You know, we don't know what's happening. What is the truth? The truth is, get yourself down to the voting booth and cast your ballot.
0: And and again, perhaps a democracy is better served by folks who conjecture the truth, who say Let's go for facts. Let's agree on facts, and that may be the definition of a sovereign nation. Is well, what are the values that we've agreed upon? And you know, let, let's let's go for a high note. I'm gonna give you the last word before you read, the, before you share your essay with us. Is that, okay. to me, I don't mind having an intellectual dialogue with folks who disagree. Now, I'm not going to put up with the racial profiling of Latinos. I'm not going to put up with stereotypes about our community, and I'm not going to put up with being silenced. That's a whole different (laughs) ballgame. I've noticed that about you. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, you're about to treat us to your essay. Give give us your parting thoughts about what's at stake here in Texas right now. Well,
2: I think the future of a Latino community. You know, I mean, we have to rise up and, and vote for change and get somebody who looks like us in the in the in the seats that govern. I mean, not, and and this is this is how I'm going to end it. I think I think Abbott and the Republicans should be a whole lot nicer to us right about now because the different demographics are changing and there is a change that's going to come.
0: Gracias, mano. Thanks for keeping it real. Thanks for sticking around for our community, and thank you for sharing your essay.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. This is Al Castillo. I am president of LULAC Historic Council 60. I wrote an op-ed for the Houston Chronicle on October the 15th, and I'll be reading it to you. Abbott's altering voting rules akin to poll tax. In 2018, Lulette Council Sixty Clubhouse on Bagby Street was designated a national treasure by the National Trust for Historic Preservation. To mark the occasion, I took some time to look over our files we'd stored and saved for makings of our own museum someday. This is when I saw a sign from decades ago that made me realize how important our work is. The sign read, buy your poll tax before January 31st. Be ready to vote. I remember as a young boy when my father, A. John Castillo, as a member of Council, Lulet Council 60, would sit at the neighborhood wine gardens in near Northside and volunteer to sell poll tax to our area residents, made up mostly of America, Mexican-Americans. I often heard our neighbors say that they wanted to vote, but just couldn't afford the tax, a whole $2. It was a sacrifice for families on a fixed income. It was a hard sell. my father sat there day after day, tenacious and committed, he would tell me that only by voting could these types of Jim Crow tactics be challenged and eliminated. I had not thought of those days for a long time. Now I am the president of the same LULAC council that my father served. Finding that sign reminds me that we still have a lot of work to do to defy the direct and indirect efforts of disenfranchisement, disempower our community, by making it harder to vote. This this brings me to take a stand on behalf of LULAC Council 60 and our community and condemn Governor Greg Abbott's recent move to reduce to only one drop off site per county for mail-in ballots. This reminds me of that poll tax designed to make it much harder for our people in our community to vote. Although mailing their ballots is an option if elders prefer to drop them off and they have to drive an hour out of their way, it looks like an update of charging hardworking families to vote. To make it cost more time, more research, more energy, this is shameful. This brings back to me the sad memory of the past efforts to suppress our right to vote as American citizens. Abbott knows that our county encompasses over 1,700 square miles. Does he he care about the safety and well-being of our citizens of Texas? Did he not take an oath to protect our state? He should encourage and empower voters to exercise their right to vote. Voting is not a privilege. It is a constitutional right. It is time to leave Jim Crow tactics and lay them to rest as part of our tragic past. I am outraged that Abbott won an appeal over the court's decision to overturn this move. I am troubled by the Texas Republican Party suit against drive-through voting, though the suit has been tossed out for now. Any changes now to the voting rules are much too close to the elections and may lead once again to discouraging citizens from exercising their most important American right, voting. The entire notion is offensive. Abbott should not only drop his appeal, he also owes my father an apology.